Joshua chapter 20 tonight. Joshua chapter 20. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spoke unto you by the hand of Moses. Cities of refuge. And tonight I, I simply title our message, Our Great Refuge. Our Great Refuge. Now, I don't know when, if ever, you might have heard a, a sermon preached on the Old Testament cities of refuge. It's kind of an obscure thing. It's not completely unknown to us. There's a number of passages that speak of it. And there's absolutely no question tonight that the Old Testament cities of refuge were a picture or a type of our great refuge, who is Jesus Christ. The reason I know that is because the Bible says it. Here it is, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible to God to, uh, to lie, we might have a strong consolation, notice, who have fled for refuge. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, remember, when we read the book of Hebrews, we're reading somebody else's mail. It was addressed to the Jewish people. I can guarantee you that any Jewish person reading the fact that we have fled to Jesus as our refuge, who now is our high priest forever, would immediately grasp and understand the significance. I hope tonight that you and I will know a little bit more about that because the concept of Christ as our refuge was rooted in the teaching that Moses gave to the children of Israel concerning those cities of refuge. But we can see from the book of Hebrews uh, very clearly how these things play out for us. Number one, we have fled for refuge to Jesus Christ. And number two, Jesus Christ is our high priest forever. So keep those two thoughts in mind. And I think you'll see how that plays out as we go along. God gave this principle to Moses, and it is recorded for us in Numbers chapter 35 and verse 15. These six cities, he said, shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. Now... We need to put ourselves a little bit into the Old Testament history of Israel, knowing a little bit about the time. Uh, there was no police force then, uh, no established uh, uh, penalty system that was put in place, no one to enforce it. And instead, God established a principle, and the principle was uh, that whoever kills a man by, if you kill a man by man, shall your blood be shed. That was it. God provided capital punishment uh, for any person guilty of killing another person, uh, basically regardless of the reason. And the people who were charged with the responsibility of enforcing that law was the nearest male kinsman, be that a brother, a father, cousin, 
nearest male kinsman, then was known as the blood avenger. And it was his responsibility to enforce that law. That may seem unusual to us, cruel to us, almost vigilanteist in its, in its concept, but that, that wasn't the case. Remember, no policemen, no judges, no criminal system, no justice system. And uh, these people, though, were responsible to enforce God's principle concerning the value of human life. And that's one of the things the Bible gave us very early on. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 4, God said to them, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat? And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of men, and at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of a man. There's that principle. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For the image of God. In the image of God made he man. Uh, man was created in God's image. And that makes every person on this planet uh, precious in the sight of God. And so God established very early on and very clearly uh, the principle of the value of human life. Now, when we think about the long-suffering of God that we see on display in the world today, and then we see, by contrast, the terrible times of judgment when God would rain down terrible things upon the Old Testament people and people in that day. We think about Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. When we see the long-suffering of God at operating in the world today, how bad must it have been in Sodom and Gomorrah? How bad must it have been in the days of Noah? For God to move so crushingly. How bad must it have been in the land of Canaan for God to describe that those people must be wiped out? Considering the value that God himself places on human life, the long-suffering of God that we see in our world today, then we know that there must have been some terrible, terrible, violent evil in the world for God to have moved in judgment the way he did. Jump ahead. Think about the book of Revelation. Think about the terrible times of judgment that the Bible describes. Imagine. We think it's bad now. Imagine how bad the world is going to get for God to move in such catastrophic, apocalyptic judgment against this planet. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Not the shadow. I never heard that radio program. I've just read about it, but uh, some of you might have heard it. Not the shadow. The shadow knows. God knows. Not some mythical person. Not some, no. God knows the evil that lurks in the hearts of men. While all those things then uh, are kind of put into our mind within our understanding of the cities of refuge, we also acknowledge that while God placed a high value on human life, He prescribed capital punishment for anyone guilty of shedding the blood of any man. And yet God Himself moved in cataclysmic judgment, which tells us something about the evil that men are capable of that God had to respond in that way. All those things being true, 
Yet here are these six cities of refuge. Because God still recognized the principle behind what we today would call involuntary manslaughter. It's unusual for a person to kill somebody who doesn't mean to. To kill someone on accident. But it does happen. In fact, the Bible even gave a couple examples. One referred to a person who was cutting down a tree and the axe uh, flew off because uh, the axe head flew off because they didn't pay enough attention to make sure it was fastened securely. Maybe it would hit somebody and kill that person. Then whoever was responsible for that could go to the city of refuge and apply for a, ta- a place of refuge. And he would be safe as long as he stayed inside that city from the avenger of blood. That's the way the principle worked. Bible mentioned another case, a person uh, working on a building, maybe clearing a building, and somehow a rock would fall, hit somebody in the head. Again, that person could go to the city of refuge and apply for refuge. His case would be heard. And if it was found that indeed there wasn't some animosity at at play, it, it wasn't some old grudge he was trying to settle, he wasn't up there on the wall and looked down and see that guy walking about, man, I've always wanted to get him, pow. Nothing like that. Oh, it was an accident. Nothing like that. No animosity, no hatred in his heart for this person. The case was considered very carefully. And then, then, they could stay in the city of refuge. Now, this might seem like a big deal to fix what would be a relatively minor problem. But there those cities would stand. Stand as a reminder, no matter how infrequently they might have been used, that if a person sheds blood, causes the death of another person inadvertently, they could flee to the city for refuge. And there it could remain there as long as the high priest was alive. So we see that refuge. Joshua chapter 20 verse 3, and uh, the slayer that killeth any person unaware unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee into one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation of judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come into his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. That's the law. Absence of malice. A person ignorant of uh, the ability to cause death unwittingly without meaning to. Maybe didn't see the danger. Ignorant of the danger to another person. And this uh, does a lot, I think, to help us understand the significance of those cities of refuge and how they speak to us of the work of Jesus Christ. Because you see, when Jesus died on the cross... The Bible records almost everything that he said and did. And one of the things that he said while he was on the cross was, Father, forgive them. He prayed for the people killing him. Forgive him. Why? Because they know not what they do. They were unwitting. 
Now, we can think that that only applies to the soldiers, but we are missing the significance if we think that. We might not have ever taken anybody's life. We might not have ever done it wittingly or unwittingly or intended to or not, but regardless, when it comes to the death of Jesus Christ, every one of us are guilty. Why? The Bible tells us in James chapter 2 and verse 10, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. All of us were unquestionably, undeniably guilty of sin. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not die for his own sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3 says that Christ died for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that God commended His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It do us a lot of good every now and then just to read into that passage our own name. Our own name. Christ died for rich. Yeah, Christ died for me. Christ died for us. That's true. He didn't die for me any more than he died for any of you. He died for our sins. Now the truth of that passage, of these passages, is unmistakable. Christ died for our sins and he died long before we ever knew it. Long before we knew we were guilty. Jesus Christ died for us. It is the absolute essence then of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we understand that he died for us and that it was your sin and my sin that crucified the Lord of glory. But in the great economy of grace, we see that the awareness and admission of the fact that Christ died for our sins, that I am responsible for his death, that Jesus died for me, is really all that's necessary for me to flee for refuge for him. Yes, Yes, I'm guilty. Yes, Jesus, you died in my place. Oh, will you take me in? And what a great message the Bible gives us. Jesus said, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus doesn't turn anybody away. It comes to him saying, yes, Lord, I'm guilty. Another crucial fact about the city of refuge was that they provided a day of judgment so that this person who had taken someone else's life would stand someday before the congregation and a trial would be held to make sure that this death was indeed unintentional. You see, the point is that the refuge was available only until the day of judgment. Listen, the Bible tells us that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But isn't it wonderful that the Bible tells us also in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, them which walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. No condemnation. Romans chapter 8 begins in, with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor any other creature that pretty well covers it shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great passage. No condemnation, Romans 8.1. No separation. So we have fled to him for refuge. Though there is coming a day of judgment when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't it wonderful that we can be assured there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, have you fled to Jesus for refuge 
to mind. Then we also notice the revenger. The revenger. That's the refuge. Now quickly we'll see the revenger. Numbers 35 verse 24. Then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore to him the city of his refuge, whether he was fled, and he shall abide in it until the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. But if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whether he was fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return unto the land of his possession. Now this next of kin was obligated by law to execute the person who had shed his kinsman's blood but in the economy of God, we might ask, who is the revenger? Who is the avenger today? Well, I've got good news for us. The avenger is also the one who is our refuge. It's an interesting thing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. This refers to the return of Jesus Christ. And them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16 records that uh, strange time when people who have refused again and again and again to call upon the name of the Lord that they might be saved will call on the rocks. Isn't that interesting? We'll call on the mountains and rocks saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? You see, God's avenger of blood is Jesus, who's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But if you reject him, as your Savior. If you reject Him as your refuge, then you face Him as the revenger. That's what the Bible calls the second death. Flee to Jesus Christ as your refuge. Face Him as the revenger. There's a great Old Testament story that enables all of this to play out. It revolves around the story of King David, the death of Saul, the Old Testament king. Saul had a great general. His name was Abner. And after Saul's death and David ascended the throne, there was a number of people in Israel who decided that David shouldn't be thrown, a king, that some member of Saul's family should be allowed to, to be king. And for a while then, there was war between the forces of Abner and the forces of David. And it was a long, protracted battle that went on and on. It wasn't decided by some great, uh, great battle. That, and after the battle was over with, it was all done, although they had them. Instead, the Bible called it a war of attrition. Uh, the forces of David grew stronger and stronger, and the forces behind Abner just got weaker and weaker and weaker. 
there was a time when there was a great battle. David and his armies, of course, were victorious. Abner and his armies were forced to flee. And along the way, there was Joab. Uh, I tell you, if you've never read about Joab, uh, you ought to uh, skip a, a, a night's watching TV and read the Old Testament and find out about Joab. Joab's an interesting character, ruthless, ruthless general. His loyalty to David was absolute. Therefore, anybody that threatened David, Joab considered it to be a threat to him as well. He was ruthless. He was vengeful. He was a mean guy. Joab had a couple of brothers. And on the time when Abner was forced to flee, put to flight, literally running away, the Bible tells us that Joab had a brother named Asahel. Now Asahel, the Bible says, was as fleet of foot as a wild roe. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 3. That's King James English to tell us that Asahel could run like a deer. Are you with me? He could run like a deer. So here's Abner. Had a great head start, running out ahead. Joab said, go get him. And here goes Asahel running him down. Abner kept telling him, turn away from him. But the Bible says, oh no, he wouldn't turn. When Abner turned this way, he turned right behind him. He turned back this way, he turned right behind him. He said, no, leave me alone. He said, there's my armor bearer over here. Go kill him and take his armor. Leave me alone. You know, Abner was trying to make a deal. Asahel wouldn't hear a bit of it. There he is just running. Asahel right behind him. Finally he stops. When he stops, he had that spear underneath his ear. Asahel's running so fast, plow, ran into him. And the Bible says the butt end of that spear went in under his fifth rib, fifth rib, and killed him just like that. Abner wasn't out to kill Asahel. He, he didn't want to kill him. In fact, he told him, leave me alone. I don't want to have to kill you. He didn't want to have to deal with Joab. I don't want to kill you. Stop running, leave me alone, let it all go. But he ran into him, took the butt end of the spear, Asahel's dead. Well, nothing happened right away. In fact, they kind of signed a peace treaty for a while, and uh, it ended up that Abner would come into Hebron. And by the way, remember, Hebron was one of those six cities of refuge. He came in and met with David, and, and they kind of uh, made peace among themselves. And when Joab heard about it, he was furious. You had Ahab right here in your city. You had uh, Abner right here in your city. Why did you let him go? Well, Joab, being the ruthless kind of guy that he did, sent some of his soldiers out to go get Abner and say, David wants you back. Now, David didn't know anything about it. Joab met him in the gate of the city. Hebron, by the way. And he killed him. Killed Abner. How did he kill him? He struck him in the fifth rib. <laughs> right where he had killed his brother. When David heard about it, he made an interesting declaration. He said Abner died as a fool. Abner died as a fool died. Why? Why would he make a statement like that? Joab was avenger of blood. Abner had killed his brother and he knew it. He was in the city of Hebron. 
the city of refuge. All he had to do was say to David, who was the king and had set up his headquarters in Hebron, all he had to do was say, David, I'm here to give me refuge. And he could have lived out his days. But instead, he went outside the city like a fool, knowing that Joab would kill him if he caught him. And he died as a fool. You say, well, Brother Rich, what in the world does all that have to do with us? How many people on this planet today are going to die as a fool in the very gate of the city of refuge? Standing before the door of the one that all they have to do is ask. And they'll be granted access. But they refuse, just like Abner did. Refuse to ask to be granted refuge. And die, therefore, in a place where they could have salvation. How many people will die? Because they refuse to come to Jesus as their great refuge. I hope it's not any of you in this building. Abner couldn't plead ignorance. He knew good and well where the city of refuge was. He knew good and well who David was. He knew exactly what he needed to do. Cost him his life. You can know Jesus Christ, know exactly how to receive Him as Savior. You may have heard the gospel preached a hundred times. You might have joined a church along the way or two, or a dozen. Might have been baptized so many times you still got wrinkles on your skin. But if you haven't by faith called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asked Him, to be your deliverer, your savior, your redeemer, then you'll die in your sins and have only yourself to blame. What a great testimony, though, baptism is, like we saw tonight. When a person has received Christ as their savior, gives such a clear testimony, yes, I've been saved. Declare it to the world, yes. I'm following Jesus Christ. We have then fled for refuge under Jesus Christ. And since our high priest lives forever, <laughs> then that means we are absolutely safe in him. All tonight. What a great gospel picture this is out of the Old Testament book of Joshua. Once you receive Christ, call to him to be your refuge. Let's stand together, please.